Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So this week we're going to talk about a concept I call the locker room and then we're going to end with the situation that irritates me. So I'm big on using analogies for one reason. People understand analogies. I get analogies and I can remember analogies. So when somebody has an analogy that kind of locks in or is very common to things, I think it makes it really easy for us to remember it. So today we're going to talk about everybody's lives using a sports-themed analogy. I like sports themes. I found that uh, most people know sports, right? So they understand it. You don't have to play sports to know what a locker room is, to know what a coach is and some of those things. So whether you're in long-term recovery, active substance use, you're coping with a mental illness, um, you, you consider yourself normal, whatever the heck that is. To me, normal is a little town outside of Peoria, Illinois. Um, I believe everybody has hurts, habits, and hang-ups that uh, they go through. And because of that, I think everybody can use some recovery. I really think that a lot of the concepts that, we're gonna, that we talk about when it comes to recovery apply to everybody. So I believe we all have basic needs that need to be satisfied if we want to live our lives well. So that leads to this question. What do we need, right? So I'm glad you asked. First, realize that our lives are like a game. Uh, The difference being in most games, when you lose, you get to start a new game, right? Uh, If I'm playing a video game and my character dies, uh, I get another life. When you land on go to jail in Monopoly, you don't pass go, you don't collect $200, you go directly to jail. But it's a game. You're still sitting at the dining room table because it's pretend jail. This game is serious. This game is your life. In this game, when you die, they put you six feet under topsoil. When you go to jail, you're in a five-by-nine cell, and they might keep you for a while. You might not even have the greatest cellies. This game is for real. It's for keeps. Most of us only get one chance at it, so let's make the most with the one life that you've been given. So how do you make the most of your life? I would say the first thing you have to do in life is choose a team. Are you going to play for team sober or team jacked up? Will you play for team career or team unemployed? Will you be on team I'm going to be positive or team negativity? You see what we're doing? We're looking at two different choices we have in life, always leading with the positive option. We should always focus on positives, what we want our life to be, and then whenever we apply the rest of the locker room, we can actually achieve whatever team we want to play on. So now now we've made a choice, right? We want to play for team successful. We want to play for team recovery. We want to play for team uh, career. We want to play for team uh, father and good husband. So once you make that choice, we automatically have a team owner. So some people may disagree with us, and if you disagree with it, uh, well, I guess it's my live stream. So So that team owner is your higher power. Now this is where I lose probably a third of the people who get mad because I'm going to talk about the higher power and then the other half the people I will lose because I didn't say Jesus. I will tell you 
my higher powers, Jesus. You need to pick out what your higher powers going to be. So for our purposes in what we're talking about right now, though, a higher power doesn't have to be God. For most people, it is. Most people that I know where I live, because I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? I live in the Ozarks in southwest Missouri. So when I say higher power, a lot of people automatically jump to God. Unfortunately, there's also some people that as soon as they hear higher power, they jump to God, and that's a turn off to them. Uh, they've been hurt by the church. They have been hurt by faith. They have grown up in a house where it was shoved on them. And because of the beliefs of the family that they grew up with, they've been marginalized. They've been kicked out of the house. So when we say higher power, uh, I don't know. Let's break it down. Uh, a higher power is something stronger and bigger than you. Uh, when you can't, your higher power can't. Your higher power will give you love, forgiveness, validation, acceptance, encouragement, hope, uh, all those things whenever you're not able to give it to yourself. I once heard somebody say that a higher power could be anything you wanted. I heard somebody say it could be a doorknob. I always say if you're getting love, forgiveness, validation, acceptance, encouragement, and hope from a doorknob, you probably need to go detox somewhere. You know, um, I think one of the best ways I ever saw it illustrated was when I was in a residential treatment program. And uh, a young man said he didn't believe in a higher power to the counselor that was leading the group that I was in. And the counselor asked the young man to lie on his back on the floor. And then he looked around and he said, do you trust the people in this group? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, I trust a couple of the people in this group. And he said, okay. He said, so first what I want you to do is I want you to lift your entire body off the ground. And he started to sit up and he said, no, 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 no. I didn't say sit up. I said, I want you to levitate, lift your entire body six inches off the ground. And, of course, he looked at the counselor. He's like, well, I can't do that. That's not something I have the ability to do. And he said, okay, who's four guys in here you trust? Pick four people. And the guy looked around, and he picked four people out. And he said, okay, I want one of you guys to grab an arm, one of you guys to grab a leg, one of you guys to, you know. He set us around, and he had two guys grab an arm each and two guys grab a leg each. And he said, okay, now lift him up six inches off the ground, which, of course, we easily were able to lift him. And after we sat down, he explained the lesson that could be taken, right? Gravity is obviously a force greater than you. There's nothing on our own you could do to overcome it when you were down and out. The group of men that were here in your class, um, they acted as your higher power. You trusted them, and because of that trust, you allowed them to work in your life. What you couldn't do by yourself, what you could not do by alone, you were able to do together. So we'll always encounter forces that are greater than us. And we'll always need to rely on things that, to get us through them. Our higher power gives us confidence that we can. And that not only will we survive things that consume our lives, but we will thrive after we overcome them. Once we know we have the ability, we continue to add things to our life that enable us to live a more and more amazing life as we go. I always say we weren't, you know, people are like, how you doing? Well, I'm good. I think good kills people. I think good shatters uh, uh Good shatters people's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not expectations, but uh, their limits. I think literally good sets limits for people because I don't believe that we were created, that we were born, that we were made to be good. I think we were made to be great. So when people hear say, I'm good, sometimes they stop right there because they don't realize that there's still more levels to go. It's kind of like the difference between being a survivor, um, being a victim, a survivor, and a thriver, right? A lot of people, once they hit that survivor stage, they stop, not realizing that there's a stage far above that, which is a thriver stage. And that's a completely different podcast that we will probably talk about in the future. 
So now that we have figured out that there is a higher power, there's something out there bigger than us that can help us through things, we need to start looking at, okay, I have a team, I have a team owner, now what do I need for a good team? How about a coach? Right? How about having a good coach? I think every team has a great coach. Um, this guy goes by various names, whether it's sponsor, mentor, coach, pastor, boss, grandfather, dad. Um, it needs to be somebody who's attained the life you want, um, that you want to eventually have. I always say find somebody whose life you'd like to have in the next three to five years. Like my coach when I first got um, – into recovery was the person that I worked with as a sponsor. Now, eventually, I got to a place where I was no longer, and this hacked some people off for some reason, um, but I, I got to a place where I no longer thought about using. Using is no longer one of those things that bothers me day in and day out. I can honestly tell you that of my own volition, I will never use again. Now, don't get me wrong. I could go through something kind of like the car accident that I went through where I came out of a coma and I was on a morphine drip. Um, that's a possibility. But on my own, I would never use A, because I know everything it would take away from me, and B, because I have an amazing foundation and tons of coping skills that I use consistently. It's not like I miss days where I do not engage with some of my major coping skills, and we'll get to more of that as we go through. Um, but now I work with, you know, now I have a mentor that is a really good dad and he's a good husband and he has a successful nonprofit because those are the things that I, I, I'm aiming to achieve today. In the next three to five years, I would love to be the way he is with his family and I would love to have a, a nonprofit that's an eighth as successful as his is, right? So, so I, I need to find somebody who has attained the life that I have um, or has the kind of thinking that I want to possess, just like I would never want to be trained to defend myself from somebody who'd never been in a fight, whether in the ring or in the streets. I don't want to have a coach who has never experienced what I'm struggling against or a coach who is not successful in what I'm trying to be successful in. So now I find a coach. And after I have coaches, then we have teammates, right? Uh, we also call those accountability partners, accountability buddies, whatever you want to call them. But these are positive people in your life who are going to encourage you and want to see you do your best. Uh, these are people who are going to call you out when you're not doing your best. Um, they're going to call you out when you're setting yourself up for failure. These are people that are going to walk beside you and give you feedback and support when you're trying new things. They can be friends, family, coworkers, people who attend the same church, community support group, um, mutual support group, small group. They don't have to have had the same struggles or the same goals. All they have to do is be supportive and positive and willing to call you out. They have to want to see you do your best and help you along that path as well. Next, we have a game plan, right? So I have a coach, I have a teammate, and now I need a good game plan. Everybody's game plans are different. For recovery, a lot of people use the 12 steps as a game plan. Um, other people might use cognitive, behavioral, uh, and mindfulness techniques. Still other people use the Bible. Some people may follow the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita, while others may apply things that they learn while they're at practice. What's your game plan going to be? So for me, uh, honestly, I always say my big book is a little bit different than a lot of people's. My big book is a 66-book love letter that I believe was passed down to me by, by God. Um, then there's other people. And then I also have used the steps in the past through Celebrate Recovery and worked those steps too. And I also have mindfulness techniques and... Um, uh, some cognitive behavioral things I do. I have tons of different things that I do in my life because 
I'm not just battling one thing. I believe that I'm battling multiple things. I mean, even now, I still battle food and comfort eating and some of those other things that I'm still trying to work on. So now we have a game plan to follow. And once I have a game plan, then I start to run that game plan with my teammates um, who are also focused on winning the game and succeeding. And I have my coach give me guidance through it. So before each game, right, what do you do before every single game starts? Um, I always say you hit the locker room. So we hit the locker room. We get pumped up and inspired for the game. Uh, if you start getting frustrated, uh, if you start having some bad plays, you call a timeout. Um, and then don't forget about the home field advantage. And I'm going to break it all down kind of into a nutshell of what all those different things mean. So number one, team, right? Is your life about recovery or addiction? Is your life about mental wellness or mental illness? Is your life about living successfully and being a good role model and being a good parent, being a good son, a good daughter, a good partner, a good whatever it is you're trying to be? Or is it the opposite of that? Choose now. Choose immediately. Figure out what your team's going to be. Now I said we have a team owner, which is a higher power, something greater than you that gives you hope, support, forgiveness, and validation. Next, we have a game plan. And I said it can be multiple things, right? It can be the 12 steps. It can be the Bible, Bhagavad Gita, um, uh, seven habits of highly successful people, whatever it is you're trying to do. Then we have the coach um, who can be a sponsor, a mentor, someone who's living their life the way you'd like to live yours in the next three to five years. Then we have teammates, which are accountability partners, people who call you out and keep you honest, uh, people that maybe maybe you don't show up to a mutual support group that you always go to, and you tell them, hey, if I don't show up, call and check on me and make sure that I'm doing okay. If you don't see me at church, call me and make sure everything's coming going okay. Come by my house, right? If I start running late to work because I always try to be places early. If I start running late, you know what? That's a bad sign to look for. So if that starts happening, call me out on it and say, hey, what's going on? Because I've noticed this, right? Those are accountability partners. Those are our teammates. And then finally, we have practice, which is recovery support groups, small groups, where we have meetings with like-minded people. Then we have the locker room. The locker room is where we get pumped up. These are things that charge your spiritual battery. Um, what is that for you? You know, that's what I would want to know. Is it church? Uh, I will tell you right now, church is one way that I recharge my spiritual batteries, but so is skipping a Sunday, God forbid, and taking a kayak out on the river. To me, that is one of the best ways for me to recharge my spiritual batteries. Being out on a river in a kayak, I there's something about it that calms me down and rejuvenates me. So what are those things that charge your spiritual batteries? Um, then we have timeouts, right? Whenever life starts kicking your butt, we call it timeout. That can be prayer, meditation, yoga, uh, deep breathing exercises. What are those things you do to calm down and focus when you're in the minute and you need to calm yourself down and ground yourself? I also really like uh, the mindfulness 54321. So if you don't know, you can just Google mindfulness 54321 exercise and it will kind of show you how you lead through that. Now, this next one, I think, is one of the biggest things ever. It is home field advantage. And I'm a huge fan of having a home field advantage, and I think there's really only one way to do it. 
and that is service work. And I don't mean service work like I'm going to show up and I'm going to unlock the door, set up chairs and tables, or make coffee. Don't get me wrong. I think that is very important, that type of service work where you make yourself vital to a meeting because if I feel vital to a meeting, then I'm going to be a lot more likely to show up, right? Because I I don't want to let people down, so I'm going to be there. But I'm talking about the kind of service work where I do positive things in my community to make my community better. It could be uh, like with Better Life and Recovery, we have a stream team that floats and we pick up trash multiple times over the course of a year. Uh, Last year, we picked up three and a half tons of trash out of Missouri Riverways. Um, uh, We try to paint one or two elementary school playgrounds this summer. Over the years, we painted 11 elementary school playgrounds, just people in recovery and their families giving back to make their community better. Right. So what are things you can do to make your community better? What are things you can do? Um, We have a Harmony House here, which is a a women's shelter, and we have volunteered there multiple, multiple hours of our time. Uh, Everything from like redoing a garden and fences to when they moved into their new building, um, moving out all the furniture and pulling all the carpet. And I will tell you now, I've never seen somebody use so many tacks to put carpet in as I did whenever we were there at the Harmony House. Uh, I have no idea what was wrong with those people. They must have been getting paid by the nail. Um, It was horrible, but it was something that we did because our community needed it. So what are things that you're doing that are going to give you that home field advantage? You know, for me, that was even big in my recovery is I, I, I never felt like I was part of the community I lived in. I might have felt like I was part of the recovery community, but I never felt like I was part of the entire community that I was in. And I really needed to do things to make me feel like I was part of the community, to make me feel like I was necessary. In fact, not only am I necessary, I make my community better because I live in it. And by by doing those things and then being visible and vocal about it, it, it gives the community and opportunity to actually see what recovery looks like because a lot of times I don't think they know what recovery looks like to them recovery is well when they hear substance use they don't think about people doing positive things and getting better they think of people dying Um, they think of people mugging people breaking into houses and garages they don't think about all the positive things we do they don't think about good parents raising kids they don't think about employees paying taxes they don't think of employers hiring other people from the community and those are all things that we do in recovery now we have trainers right um this is a kind of a people that specialize right uh therapy rehabilitation whenever i get injured i need to work with trainers so that i can get back to where i need to get to and some people are going to start off where they have to uh they have to get back out there into the community. Uh, they've got to, man, I misspoke that. Some people have, are at a place where they're going to need specialized attention, whether that is mental health treatment, whether that is substance use treatment, whether that is working with a dietitian, whether that is working with a personal trainer. They're going to be people that are going to teach them the intricacies of the game and how they can su- succeed and excel at it. And, and I put this uh, training together, well not training, I put this together as a uh, presentation at a conference that I did a couple years ago, and whenever I got done with it, I was like, hey, is there anything else that I missed out on? And uh, somebody there raised their hand, and they're like, you know, you didn't talk about losing and winning. And I was like, you know what, that's a really good point, and that's why I asked if anybody had anything that I hadn't talked about. Because I think sometimes when we think about a game, we just think about being victorious, 
But I will tell you now, in this game that we call life, I have learned far much, far more, far much. Oh my goodness, I probably need some caffeine. I have learned far more from losing than I have from winning. I have gotten a lot stronger and a lot more wisdom from the times that I have not succeeded and had to learn and pick myself up and go back and try it again. You know, they say that you grow, that you don't grow on the peaks, you grow in the valleys, and that's absolutely true. And that's true in sports, too. Um, back in the day, I was actually a pretty decent basketball player, which you may found, find kind of funny since I am a short, fat, white kid. Uh, but I used to play a lot of basketball, and I actually got pretty decent at it for where I lived and the people I played against, right? Um, now, if I were to play against back then whenever I was playing, you know, three, times, three four times a week and playing four or five hours at a time when I played, if I would have played those games all against, say, one-on-one -on -one against a fifth grader when I was in high school— I would have won every single game easily, depending on the fifth grader. Uh, there's some fifth graders out there with some crazy handles, but that's a completely different story. Um, but I probably would have won quite handily, but would I have actually gotten better at the game? Now imagine that I had an opportunity to play against, I don't know, I, I, I would say Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan would wipe me every single time. And because he's tall with the leaps he has, I'd probably never get a shot off. But imagine that I played with a really good college player back then. Like, not great, but a really good, like somebody who started at like a D2 school, maybe even a D1 school. Imagine if I played one-on-one -on -one with that person, how often would I win? Probably not very often, but I guarantee you that my game would get better the more I played against them and the more I lost. So I think that's another really important thing, right? Is to realize that losing isn't always a bad thing. Uh, failing isn't really a bad thing. Failing just means I'm trying new things. I'm trying things I might not be good at. I'm trying things that I, I need to get better at, that I need to get more educated on. And because I have these other 10 things that I can use, right? Because I have game plans and coaches. And guess what? Maybe it's a new thing, so I need a new game plan. And maybe because I'm shooting off in a new direction, I need a new coach and some new accountability partners because this is a brand new field that I'm moving into, right? Like going from I don't want to use drugs to going to I want to open up my own nonprofit. There might not be a whole lot of people that I'm getting sober with that have successful nonprofits. So I may have to step outside of my comfort zone and find a new game plan and find some new things. So... I think that is kind of where I'm at for that. So I think that uh, those 10 things are vital for long-term recovery. I think if you apply those 10 things to your life while avoiding negative people, negative places, um, I guarantee you that not only can you, that you will have a better life in recovery. Once again, it's not so much focusing on relapse prevention. It is focusing on recovery enhancement. What are the, who are the positive people I can hang out? What are positive things I can do and where are positive places I can go to make my life better? Because I think those things are extremely important. Now we're going to get to my little uh, issue. So maybe it's not an issue for you, but I think it should be <laughs> because I think so. But uh, I, I like, I, I'm a big UFC fan and because of that, I read some UFC stuff. It's just kind of what I do. And I was uh, there's a fight that's getting ready to come up. It's between John Jones and Tiago Santos. 
And Tiago Santos uh, had an interview. And in that interview, he was asked a question about John Jones. And he answered it honestly. He said, you know, I personally don't like John Jones outside of the ring. I think John Jones is a horrible example uh, and a horrible person to look up to for a lot of young people coming up. You know, he's been busted for DWIs and for cocaine possession and all these other things. He said, I think that he is great inside of the ring. I think he's one of the best ever, but outside of the ring, I don't have respect for him. And John Jones got mad and came back and blasted him because he's like, you know, I've had good stuff to say about Tiago Santos. Why does he have to talk? And I'll G it up for you because obviously he didn't say smack. But he said, I don't know why he has to talk all this smack about me. He's making it personal. The truth is he didn't talk smack about you. If somebody's talking smack about you, I generally think of it, they're, they're exaggerating the bad things about you or inventing things that you've done. He wasn't inventing things that John Jones had done. John Jones has been in trouble for these things. He's been arrested for these things. He has been suspended from the UFC for these things. Uh, if you don't want somebody to tell the truth about what you do, if that bothers you, then stop doing those things, right? Live your life above reproach, especially if you're in the public eye. So if you're an athlete, if you are, you know, um, I go back to that, my big book, where it says that teachers will be held to a higher standard, that we will have to give a, a better account for our actions. You know what? If you don't want to be a teacher, if you don't want to, if you don't want to be held to a higher standard, don't be a teacher. Um, if you don't want to be held to a higher standard, don't be a mentor, don't be a peer. If you're, if you do those things, expect people to call you out on stuff. They should, right? I encourage you. If you see me acting a fool, if you see me not acting ethically, um, come to me and call me out on it, right? Um, talk to me about those things. I think far too often we have people that are getting upset about things like John Jones is. Because John Jones is like, how dare this person talk all this trash about me? He's not talking trash. He's telling the truth. So if you don't want people to tell the truth, man, stop doing it. Otherwise, they're not talking smack. They're just telling the truth. I, don't, I know I just said that wrong. I don't even care. I'm so frustrated about it. But I see so many people, right, They get frustrated because people tell the truth about things they've done. It's why I'm big on sharing my recovery, and I, I believe in sharing it. I call it the, uh, the eight-mile version of, of sharing my testimony. So what I mean by that is, is if you've ever seen the movie Eight Mile, um, the movie Eight Mile uh, is the movie with Eminem. About, it's loosely based off of how Eminem came up and about him starting off in rap battles and some of those things. Now, I believe that there's some ways that we can share our share our story. In fact, I think that in the victim stage, we never do share our story. We keep it all inside, locked up, and we don't want anybody to see it because we're afraid of what they might think or how they might judge us. And because of that, it makes us sick. I mean, literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically sick. We are not well. We're depressed. We have anxiety. We might even be traumatized. Just the fear that somebody may find out the truth about us. Now, in the survivor stage, I actually start sharing those things with people, but I really don't know why all those things happened. 
And, I, and I'm still not sharing everything. I'm p- picking and choosing what I'm going to share because there's that, st- that part of me that's still concerned about what other people are going to think. So, and then, of course, there's the 8-mile version. So in the 8-mile version, uh, if you watch the movie, uh, Eminem, very last rap battle, they flip a coin, and it comes to Eminem, and it's his choice. Do I go first, or do I let the person that I'm battling go first? And generally, in a rap battle, you want to let the other person go first because you are going to sit there and rip them to shreds with everything they say. They're just going to give you more ammunition than what you already have to put them down and to box them into a corner and to make them look ridiculous. Eminem looks at the guy and he says, you know what, I'm going to go first. He chooses to go first, which is already supposedly putting him at a disadvantage. But when he gets up on the mic, you know what he does? He tells the truth about everything. He's like, you know what? Uh, My girlfriend's a hoe. Uh, My mama is addicted to drugs. Uh, My best friend shot himself with his own gun. And I'm Brady Bunch. I'm a white guy trying to rap. Now what are you going to say about me? And when he gets done, he has literally taken all of the ammunition that the other guy had. The other guy literally has nothing. So you know what? For me... My past, it's out there, and I have no problem with it because I talked about that that victim and survivor stage, right? But there's also that thriver stage, and in the thriver stage, what I learned is that everything that I have gone through and overcame isn't a death sentence. It isn't something to walk around and be ashamed of. In fact, once I overcome those things, I can grind them up into compost and I can use it to fertilize other people's lives. And to me, that right there, I call it the garbage theory, right? We have all this garbage that happens to us and sometimes we walk around with it locked inside of us and we're like, oh, I don't want anybody to see this stuff. And then we start to show it to people, but we still don't really know why all those things happen to us. Well, I guess life sucks and then you die. You know, we come up with these little cheesy sayings or ways that we can live with all these things that happen. In the thriver stage, I realize all of these things happen to me because I'm strong enough to overcome them and use them to help other people. Right. And I'm not a unicorn. There are 23 and a half million people in long term recovery in the United States. There's tons of us who should be grinding that up and being hope dealers. In fact, I would argue everybody out there is in recovery from something. So a hope dealer is somebody who grinds up those experiences and uses it to fertilize the lives of other people who are going through the same things, letting them know that victory is possible. It doesn't matter if it's overeating, if it's uh, uh, codependency, if it's chaotic relationships, if it's uh, anger and violence, if it's uh, overeating, whatever that thing is that you've overcome, you can use that to fertilize other people's lives. So don't be afraid to share. Um, you know what? People may judge me. What did they say? Uh, people that matter don't judge and people that judge don't matter, you know, unless they're right. Now, don't get me wrong. If they're still talking about how jacked up the life is you're living today, then that might be a problem. So that's what I always say because there's some people that are like, well, it's none of my business what other people think of me. Well, you know what? Um, If other people think that you are a piece of junk, that you're a full-time knucklehead, and you're acting like a full-time knucklehead, then maybe you should be concerned what other people think. 
right? If I'm living my life well and people are talking smack that's not true, that's completely different. But if people are telling the truth, maybe it's time for me to look in the mirror and make some changes. And maybe uh, it's time for me to take a step back, right? If I'm And not put myself out there until I get everything figured out. So anyway, uh, that's the locker room. That's a mini rant on some things. And once again, I love you guys for real. I know... I know that you can find recovery. I know that no matter where you're at in your life, you can get better because I know so many other people who have. Like I said, there's 23 and a half million of us. Sometimes we act like it's this big mythical thing that that we find recovery, but the truth is people find it every single day. There's a lot of us. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. There's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you. A young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture.